I mean, <laughs> your day, your day is just kicking back, doing nothing. You got all the time in the world for stuff like this, I'm sure. Welcome, everyone, to the October 2023 edition of The Impact, a sustainable CZ podcast. For your edification, your enlightenment, and your entertainment, too. I'm Jim Hunt, Communications Manager at Sustainable CT, so if you're looking for someone to blame for this podcast, well, you can blame me. But remember, this is never a one-way conversation. We always want to hear from you for our edification and enlightenment. Drop us a note, won't you, to info at sustainablect.org. The Impact is brought to you in part by the Tremaine Foundation. The Emily Hall Tremaine Foundation seeks and funds innovative projects that advance solutions to basic and enduring problems, and we are oh so glad they do. Visit them at TremaineFoundation.org. Sustainable CT is independently funded. We don't receive support from any level of government or from a university, not even from a magical rainbow unicorn money tree. No, sir, but you can be a Sustainable CT sponsor. Find out how at SustainableCT.org. We have two bright stars in the New Haven Firmament, Steve Winter, Executive Director of Climate and Sustainability, and Amelia Fortgang, who is an ocean climate activist from the People's Republic of San Francisco, yeah, but who is currently a member of the class of 2026 at Yale, that obscure educational institution nestled in the heart of the Elm City. Uh, welcome to you both. I'm so glad you could join me today. I really appreciate your time. This is a, this is a huge deal. And New Haven is the first Connecticut municipality to be certified gold in the sustainable CT program. And before I ask you to jump in here, and I will, I promise, uh, I just want to take a moment to remind our listeners just a little bit of what that means uh, and why it's such a significant accomplishment. Sustainable CT is a is a voluntary certification program to recognize thriving and resilient uh, Connecticut municipalities and indeed to help them become thriving and resilient. I think uh, we provide a wide ranging menu of best practices and municipalities choose sustainable CT actions and implement them and earn points towards certification for bronze. A town has to complete actions totaling 200 or more points for silver, 500 points and for gold, at least 750 points and qualify <laughs> for climate leader designation, which is no mean feat in itself. Uh, This is the first year we've offered gold level certification and New Haven was not only the first and only municipality to cross that magic 750 point threshold, uh, but they came in at a whopping 1,010 points, a truly remarkable achievement because I got to say, we don't, we don't make this easy. (laughs) You know, (laughs) we don't hand out points just to say, whoop-de-doo, you got a bunch of points and aren't you wonderful. Uh, we look for real uh, substantive action on the ground uh, in equity and climate mitigation and complete streets and on and on. In fact, after becoming a sustainable CT registered town in 2018, New Haven didn't even bother to take a breath and jumped right to silver in 2019 with 925 points. Uh, did it again, silver, in 2022 with 750 points. So if we had been offering a gold level certification all these years, New Haven would have qualified as gold from the get-go three times running. So bravo, New Haven, for all the important work you put into this and for being such an inspiration to other Connecticut towns. Let me see. Giovanni Zinn has joined us. Thank you, sir, for being here. Uh, Thank you for having me. Glad to see you. 
You are the uh, town engineer, is that right, for New Haven? I am the city engineer, yes. Excellent. Engineer extraordinaire for the city of New Haven. I like that. Okay. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Steve, why don't we start uh, start with you? This must feel pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you come to this work? And why did you think it was important to pursue gold certification and climate leader and all that stuff to begin with? Oh, thanks, Jim. I, so I've been with the city since just about the end of last year. And uh, I before that, I was an alder on the New Haven Board of Alders for about five years. Yeah. And even as an alder, just noticed all the amazing work that city departments were doing across a range of issues related to climate and sustainability. You know, in 2019, the city passed a climate emergency resolution. And then in 2021, an electrification resolution to set a goal of electrifying our buildings and our vehicle fleet by the end of 2030. But, you know, if you look across the departments, whether it's our resiliency work, whether it's the things we're doing with zoning and housing, uh, there's just a lot of amazing work that's going on uh, at the city and folks at the city, they really work their tails off. They've got a ton of different things going on. Uh, but they're still able to prioritize uh, work related to climate and sustainability. And so I think that uh, elevating that work and seeking out uh, recognition and certification through sustainable CT is a way to acknowledge the the value there and also to encourage others uh, across the state to do the same. So we're really thrilled uh, that we're able to make it to gold. Like you said, you really don't make it easy. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done yeah. uh, internally, just meeting with meeting with all the different stakeholders and leaders who are doing this work, and then figuring out how to document it appropriately so that you can get, get those points from sustainable CT. It's no small task. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've heard we've heard that a lot. We we don't we don't make that we don't make it very easy. But then we don't want to. We want it to mean something. And actually have, you know, real measurable uh, effect on the ground and, and the quality of life and, and, and kind of municipalities. So, yeah, we make it a little, make that hoop a little hard to jump through. We ask, uh, Amelia, you came to this as a Yale student, uh, or was it, was it more of a personal conviction for you to get involved? Just tell us why you became involved. Is there any aspect of it that you stood out for you as being particularly compelling or important as you did this work? Yeah, so I grew up in San Francisco, very, very far away. And I became really passionate about climate change because I was seeing it in my own backyard. We had school days canceled because of wildfires and these torrential rainstorms in the last year. And I got really involved in climate and political advocacy work. And I think that was, for me, one of the most important parts about growing up with San Francisco was in San Francisco was being so involved in the city. And so coming to Yale, it was really, really important to me to be involved in the place that I'm living and working to help it achieve like a a more green and, and just future. Um, so at Yale, I'm studying ecology and I'm really interested in going into environmental policy. And so I came to this internship in City Hall because I really wanted to get a sense of what government and working in government looked like 
from the inside. I'd done a lot of advocacy work, you know, pushing governments or elected officials to do more or to pass certain policies. And I really wanted to see what it was like to um, actually be working towards, you know, achieving these things that I'd advocated yeah, for. Yeah, the receiving um, end of that advocacy. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> and so that was really, really interesting to me. Um, and I think sustainable CT is so cool in that in New Haven, at least, a lot of the work was documenting these amazing city initiatives that were already happening. Um, and at the same time, completing this application always helps push a municipality to do more. And I think those um, two components are really important to me personally. Well, I, I got to tell you, uh, all of you, uh, really, but particularly, I imagine Amelia had a hand in this, uh, strong hand in this. One of the things that impressed the hell out of me, we do reviews of all of the, these things. The towns submit their certification applications. And um, you can imagine that there is a broad range of how towns treat these things. And I'm not being critical. Some towns have a lot of resources to bring to this and others don't. There are a lot of different variables and it really depends. There are a lot of different things going on. But I got to say, New Haven, it was just such a pleasure to read through <laughs> It's all there. It's 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 done so well. It's documented so well. There's there's so much evidence of what you've been doing, and it's all laid out so well for for the reviewers to be able to look at. So to me, I don't know if you or all of you were involved in in making that happen, but it, it's always been a joy to be able to to read the certification applications and go through all this. All the paperwork is is nicely done. So there's that. Are you planning to stick around at all in Connecticut, or are you 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 hoofing back to to California when you're done? What do you what are you planning to do? I have absolutely no idea. Okay, Maybe so we have a chance <laughs> to keep you around. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all I right. have a lot of family on the East Coast, so there's all a good right. chance that you stay here. <laughs> That's good to know. I have a question for our resident engineer. A lot of the the actions that New Haven took stand as what we call success stories. Again, kind of very well documented, very well done. They stand up as being, you know, the kind of thing other towns can look to to emulate. That's why we hold them up as success stories for other towns to call it, follow your example. And uh, New, ha New Haven's had several of these. And I'm thinking about complete streets work and along with it, working with the League of American Bicyclists to achieve silver grade there as well. Tell us a little about, about I'm assuming you would be on, on this, the, the, a little bit about New Haven's complete streets program. Uh, was it particularly challenging effort or what are the results have the have the results been particularly meaningful in any way in, in New Haven? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a, a reflection of how we're viewing cities now and how our residents view the place where they live versus yeah. what was, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago. Um, where, you know, a lot of the choices then in the, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s were really about getting cars in and out of the city as quickly as possible. Uh, you know, now there's a, a recognition that cities are, you know, sustainable places to live, you know, and, and you don't have to come in and, and run out, but this is all about, you know, that that life that that you know where you can work and live and and and, and play in areas that are all very close to each other um and, and so the importance of the right-of-way as something that is not just a conduit for cars but really a part of the fabric of the city has been a big understanding so emphasizing first of all pedestrian safety vulnerable users 
you know, connecting our, our sidewalk network and, and getting, investing heavily in sidewalks, uh, you know, not the most glamorous of uh, activities, but probably the most fundamental, right? Uh, and, and then dealing with some of the, the high crash and, and troublesome spots across the city, whether it's our peanut roundabout or uh, medians on Whaley Avenue or, uh, you know, our tra- corridor of traffic coming on Clinton Avenue, all different parts of the city all have different treatments, uh, but all with the, with the same goal of creating uh, sustainable, walkable neighborhoods. Yeah. And what intrigues me about that that whole issue is there these are very competing they're comp- competing interests. I mean, if they, yeah. right? Everybody wants the street for a different reason. Obviously, the cars want it for for their reasons, and the the commercial traffic wants it for theirs, and pedestrians want it for theirs, and bicyclists, and then you have other and and trying to complete streets really involves combining all of those, reconciling those competing interests in a way that makes the city work best. Sure, yeah. I mean, the devil is always in the details, right? You open up a complete streets manual, you know, NACDO, they publish a bunch of wonderful ones, the National Association of City Transportation Officials, you know, and you see these giant rights away that they have, you know, 120 feet or something like that, which is just unheard of here in New Haven. Uh, And there you can fit a lot, right? And so here it's always about figuring out, well, what is this corridor best suited for? Is this about buses? But, you know, pedestrians are pretty much in every corridor. Uh, you know, bikes, cars, I mean, all of that is, is, is a balancing act and it's tough. You know, you take some of the widest streets in New Haven and once we start looking at design, we run out of space very quickly. Yeah. Now, were you able to benefit from the experience of other cities? Were you looking at, at what other cities in your size have, have done and uh, you didn't go fly into this, you know, blind. Yeah, no, I mean, we get wheel. out the copiers, right? That's what we do in uh, in government. And uh, yeah, we, we look uh, whether it's uh, nationally through NACDO or even yeah. other parts of Connecticut. We're trying to work a lot closer with some of our close municipalities like Hamden. Uh, you know, we're doing a lot, trying to do a lot of work with them right now. Yeah, I, I mean, that's one of the things I think it's a benefit of Sustainable Connecticut is that you're able to see those stories and see that those best practices and share amongst each other. Yeah, everybody hates a roundabout until it's there and then they love it. Right. That's something we, yes. <laughs> just something we've learned over, this, over time. No, don't put that roundabout here. It's terrible. And then suddenly they can't do without it. Oh, anyway. Don't forget one of your favorite words, Stevani, Woonerf. Right, the Woonerf, yes. Uh you know, we're the shared space. I don't know if you're familiar with the term, but it's a, it's a shared roadway space where instead of having the sidewalks at a different level from the roadway, it's a slow speed roadway where everyone can go, you know, sort of everywhere. Um, and really forces car traffic to, to slow to a crawl. And, and, yeah. you know, it really emphasizes the pedestrianization of the space. Yeah. With a lot fewer fat- fatalities and accidents, I'm assuming. Like benefit. Yeah. <laughs> benefit. No, I mean, uh, you know, speed, uh, you know, energy goes up uh, with the square of speed. So, yeah. you know, even a small reduction in, in speed, uh, you know, provides much better outcomes for, for yeah. those sorts of things. So let's talk about support you may have from city officials like Mayor Elliker and his administration that has proven valuable. I mean, presumably you had strong support from the mayor's office, and I, I don't want to put you in the spot of having to speak for the mayor, but now's your chance to say something nice about the mayor or, or somebody else in the, in the town administration that has helped support this effort uh, all along. The- well, maybe I'll start just from the, okay. so we, so my department, we did the previous submissions of Sustainable Connecticut, and it's a huge testament to the commitment of the mayor, uh, you know, Steve's yeah. presence in our, in our climate office. 
you know, that's a huge commitment from right. the, the part of the mayor. And he hired a, a, you know, an absolutely dynamic person to run that office and Steve. Um, and so it's, you know, we're taking very seriously the commitments that Steve talked about at, at the start. Um, so, you know, I, I certainly appreciate having someone that could take this over and get us to gold, right? We're at silver, now we're at gold. We really appreciate Steve and, and Amelia's work uh, doing that. And, uh, you know, none of that would be possible without the the very strong and steadfast support of the mayor. I don't know, Steve, if you want to chime in. Yeah, please do. Yeah, I think, I think Giovanni is exactly right. I, I wouldn't be here, and Max, the other half of our office, wouldn't be here without the support that the mayor and the Board of Alders, uh, through some American Rescue Plan funding, identified to get the office started. Uh, and I think that there's been a lot of strong direction since the office started around what our priorities should be. And so we're, as we're looking at how to reach more residents, particularly low and moderate income residents with uh, solar and energy efficiency and uh, home, the electrification of the systems in their homes, you know, the mayor's been really engaged with that. As we look at developing more renewable energy uh, in the city, we're looking at putting some solar canopies and parking lots and, additional solar on buildings as well as our landfill uh this the mayor's really been been key in in prioritizing that so i think that uh there's the financial commitments but also the you know the leadership that comes with pushing pushing these priorities along you know week to week month to month when there's so much going on in the city that can be challenging and distracting yeah, it's he's there's a lot going on. And again, <laughs> we we ask a lot. Sure, you have a staff now. You might have some resources to put towards this that other towns don't, but it's it's a huge task. Th- this is not something a town would embrace if it didn't have practical positive consequences. I mean, again, we're not giving out points because that's nice. You get points. You get a little gold thing and gee, aren't that that nice? You you're a gold certified. What does it mean? Does it mean that you've saved money on your energy bill, right? Does it mean you've reduced the amount of energy the city uses state, you know, citywide? Does it mean that you've, you know, uh, brought efficiency to certain uh, public buildings and the complete streets and equity and all the, everything that's included? It has actual consequences on the ground. And that's presumably the, the mayor, you know, they're not there for points and, and a gold gold award. They want to make sure this stuff is actually doing something for the city. So I think that that's a tribute to to his good judgment. <laughs> that's great. That's excellent. And I'm talking about the city, and I'm going to take advantage of Amelia being here. I wanted to ask about the city's relationship with Yale. Uh, what does the, the town-gown dynamic look like these days? And how much is Yale a part of what's going on with sustainability in the city. I think like the, the the disparity between Yale and the rest of New Haven is very real. And I think there's a lot that's been due. Like I was funded through Yale actually to come work at City Hall and complete the sustainable CT application. So, and there's a few ways in which Yale is really helping and aiding the sustain, the, the city and becoming more sustainable. And I think there is a lot more work that that needs to be done. I think something that really surprised me completing this application was that a lot of my understanding of what New Haven was, I'd been living here for maybe nine months before I came to 
to the Office of Climate and Sustainability, a lot of my understanding of New Haven was just of Yale. And I think completing the application and learning so much about urban forestry and farmers markets and restoration of brownfield sites and bioswales and everything that was so separated from Yale was really interesting. And I think it really expanded my view of, you know, how, how New Haven works and how it works sort of independently from Yale in a lot of respects. Sure. Well, I'm sorry to put you on the spot like that. I, 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 it, it is kind of the the elephant in the room, not this room, but it's the elephant in town. It's the big, it's, it's, you know, a big player in town. It's hard to discuss New Haven without at least thinking about, you know, well, where's Yale in this? Because they're going to influence what happens in so many different ways. Interesting. I'm, I'm, I know that Yale too has a very strong environmental program, you know, on their campus and they do a lot of stuff internally. You know, we work with their communications people on, on this too. So it's not as if it's not as if they're separated from the from the whole concept or the or the the subject matter. But how they deal with the town, I mean, I find that interesting sometimes, you know, because it could be do the interests coincide? Do the interests overlap? Do they have, you know, competing interests? Are they actually working with the town to make things happen? Or are they getting in the way? I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's obviously there's a very wide ranging relationship between the the, the town and, and and Yale um, yeah. on any fronts. Uh, you know, I mean, the three of us actually all went to Yale or are going to Yale, right? So okay. there's uh, <laughs> there's one <laughs> one you know sort of real life example right there of how yeah. the two are so intermixed. Um, I, I think on sustainability in particular, we are obviously very locally focused. Uh, the, the university has a global reach and there's a lot for each of us to learn from each other. I mean, I think we've all done, uh, you know, Steve and I have both talked at Yale about the city's sustainability projects. Um, my favorite of which was the uh, uh, well, one of I, can't, I shouldn't say favorite, but one of the most interesting was the British Arts Center was doing something about climate change in art, and they invited me to come in and talk about you know infrastructure projects. It was wow. a fascinating thing. That's great. I knew I was out of place because I was the only one not wearing black in the room, but <laughs> it was <laughs> it's a lot of fun, and, and it really you know one of the benefits I see for us is really it expands our minds, right? It allows us to sort of see past the 18.1 square miles of New Haven and yeah. see what other people are doing. And, and I think the inverse is true as well in that uh, Yale benefits in their work here, you know, whether it's Amelia having a, a, an internship over the summer or work with the Urban Resources Initiative or you know doing research projects with uh, Yale School of the Environment faculty. Mm -hmm. it, it's easy to talk in large global terms or not easy, but it's a very different sort of challenge, right? Yeah. To, to have those massive wedge graphs and, and things like that, that show emissions for the United States or the world. You know, I, I think what we offer is the experience of actually having to get out and do the work um, yeah. and, and the challenge of doing that on the local level, which, you know, no classroom and, and can never prepare you for. We'll return to our program in just a moment. You've been listening to The Impact, a sustainable CT podcast. Hey, while you're out there tripping the web fantastic, don't forget to join us on Facebook for some fun and interesting stuff. Guaranteed safe for children and pets. Come on, be our friend, won't you? At facebook.com slash sustainable CT. And we, like millions of others, have hopped on the Instagram threads bandwagon at instagram.com slash sustainable CT and threads.net slash at sustainable CT. 
And yes, of course, we're LinkedIn. Search for Sustainable CT from your LinkedIn page and you'll find us right there, being all LinkedIn and media social. And if you're not yet a subscriber to Actions of Impact, the Sustainable CT newsletter, you could be missing out on some very important information to you, to your organization, and to your town. Accept no substitutes. Do yourself a favor and subscribe today. And you can do that where? At sustainablect.org, of course. And speaking of important information, we'll be having our annual awards celebration, the 2023 Sustainable CT Awards celebration at the site of the American Mural Project, 90 Whiting Street in the beautiful small city of Winstead in just two days on October 17th from 4 to 7 p.m. Enjoy Music and Light Fair and catch up with your Connecticut town peers. We'll also be screening a special trailer of the fourth episode of CPTV's Resourceful Program with producers on hand to answer questions and provide backstories about the show. And of course, you'll want to see the American Mural Project. It's the largest indoor collaborative piece of artwork in the world. That's right, spanning 120 feet in length and five stories in height. Serving as a pictorial chronicle, the mural portrays a diverse spectrum of laborers who have enriched American society and culture over the past century and it is a celebration of ingenuity, productivity. So we hope to see you there. And if you're not yet registered to attend, well, you may still be able to do it at sustainablect.org. Hurry before it's too late. Let's get back to the program. We are back with the folks from New Haven who have just uh, certified gold, the first and only town to do so this certification period. Uh, which is a pretty stellar achievement. I want to ask about a different kind of collaboration. You've, one of the things that uh, is a hallmark, I think, of uh, New Haven's process in certification is the degree to which you folks collaborate with C-PACE, with the you know, American Bicycle, uh, with other towns in the area, uh, Hamden, and Milford, and Shelton. I think you've been working with quite a bit. I want to ask, uh, was it difficult to find common ground in that kind of collaboration? Or did it just seem to be the best, easiest, quickest route, kind of a more organic, positive thing? Or was was that a challenge to be uh, collaborating the way you do? I, I think that uh, d- doing things across town lines, uh, Giovanni probably is more experienced with this than I do, but it, it can be challenging just simply from a bureaucratic alignment of of interests and schedules and priorities so i think certainly if you look at some of the larger regional projects it's really helpful to have uh you know the guiding hand of the federal government's incentives for things like the work on the farmington canal line uh or the east shore greenway where uh you know these regional transportation corridors for biking and walking we were working with partnering municipalities, neighboring municipalities as a requirement of the federal grant. So I think that's a, that's a big spur. Uh, and I think locally, you know, the city in some ways is enormous, you know, it's, you know, 1300 employees taking on all different kinds of tasks, but then when that's, you know, set against a population of more than 130,000, we really rely on partners to extend and expand the work that we're doing in providing services to residents. And I think that's true, true of everything, but especially true with things like our work in sustainability. So Giovanni had mentioned uh, urban resources initiative, the, the urban forestry and tree planting, a nonprofit that's fiscally sponsored by Yale university. And I think 
looking there, you know, it's a really tremendous partnership uh, in terms of getting trees to be adopted by residents, stewarded by residents. And that is a really is a true partnership. You know, the city included uh, inserts in our tax mailers to get more trees adopted. Uh, we submitted complementary uh, proposals to the U.S. Forest Service for uh, urban forestry planting and planning grants uh, that yeah. were both awarded uh, last month. So, I, yeah, I look at that work and the survival rate of all those trees being really high and think like, wow, this is great. And we really, we wouldn't be able to do this on our own as a municipality. Uh, Giovanni, have anything to add to how the, you approach well, collaboration? I think Steve covered it pretty well. I, I think, you know, finding people that have common goals in the other communities, which is tough because our work is within the borders of New Haven, but that's where getting out to sustainable Connecticut to, um, you know, our scrog, that's important. You know, in Hamden, we're lucky we have a town engineer that, you know, thinks very similarly to us and actually used to work in our department. So that was kind of a, a built-in uh, connection. But, you know, he's uh, enabled by an administration that, you know, views a lot of things like complete streets and things like that, uh, you know, in a way that's similar to what we do that's that's very helpful to find you got to find people in the communities around you that you know have common goals and also have common projects the, sure. the all the different rules that each of us has i mean we all you know publicly procure contracts but the exact detailed way in which we do that all varies a little bit and that's enough to trip up a lot of uh, collaboration yeah. uh, you know we have 169 uh municipalities in uh in connecticut and they all do their own thing and we don't like county government in connecticut and <laughs> you know there are many reasons for that and it's something that a lot of us have sort of visceral reactions to but it does make collaboration on a regional level uh, quite complicated well the old adage you know dirty water and dirty air or for that matter wildlife doesn't know a city boundary from a a country mile so you you almost are forced to collaborate on some issues mm -hmm. to have any appreciable effect but and, and and another level of collaboration that i think new haven does particularly well it calling it collaboration is a, is a bit of a stretch but you're you're working you're engaging with you're involving the community on a lot of these issues and you might think well that's a no-brainer you know if you're going to do things that affect the community you might want to get their input but towns really struggle with that uh, in a lot of ways for a lot of reasons. But one of the things I've, I, I've been reading and going through the material that, you know, New Haven has submitted these past several years is that the number of times and the degree to which you go out, to the, you, you engage with the community for input and for buy-in and for support and for, you know, education and back and forth. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a conversation. It's not like, you know, handing down edicts from city hall. This is what you must do. You know, it's more of a, a more collaborative. And I wonder about how you, we can speak to that a little bit. Are there other instances where that really paid off? Is it some, something you do as a regular, a normal routine? I, I mean, I think it comes out of a, you know, strong conviction that when you consult with the people who are most affected by decisions, when you reach out to the public and get their buy-in that, you know, projects will be improved, they'll be more successful, they'll be shifted in ways that make them more beneficial to the community as a whole. Um, so I think that, I think, yeah, I think about our complete streets work or our cultural equity plan and how the outreach, the engagement is really baked into what the city's, what the city's doing. So it's, it's part and parcel of, of the whole initiative 
and that the yeah that the process really is integral to the product so to speak so i think like the yeah to use complete streets as an example with both of the complete streets projects we submitted for the equity toolkits you know there's a really clear uh narrative in each one about how the community raised concerns that maybe somebody downtown working on that issue would have been aware on some level um but in and having that back and forth with community members about hey if we're gonna you know narrow this this roadway and put in a two-way cycle track you know how can we make sure that that's going to really feel safe for people who are using the cycle track and how can we make sure that there aren't conflicts when that uh, road intervention approaches a school and you've got buses loading and unloading children so i think that that's really valuable and then with the you know cultural equity plan uh i think hearing from i think one of the strong things we heard was look we need to really extend work on cultural equity on making art uh holding events outside of downtown you know, bringing it more into neighborhoods including folks who might not have been as well represented by the city's past investments in art and, art and culture and so i think that's extended through the plan and also into the the grant making that the cultural affairs department's done since then so yeah i think it's just we try as much as possible to weave that into the fabric of of each project does it do you find that it it actually improves the the outcomes i it's, i know it's a silly question but but i i guess what i'm thinking is there 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 are times and i've spoken to actually uh, with engineers about this in the past, where some public works projects are by the numbers. They they have to work this way. This pipe has to go here. This roadway has to be designed this way. And it almost, it's done, not with a, a callous disregard for public opinion. I, I don't mean, to, there's no intention, there's no malicious intent in there, but it's almost, there's, there's, a, there's a, a right way and a wrong way to build a road and having community involvement just makes it harder. Or on the other hand, even for those uh, technical projects that the city, you know, is facing, does it make for a better outcome if the, if the community is involved uh, at some point along the way? Have you found that? How do, how is that? I, I think you're you're really on to something. You know, it's it's very important. One of the things I like to say is that we might be the technical experts, but you you know, the residents are the experts in their community. They live there. They know what traffic is like at 10 o'clock at night. They know what it's like at three o'clock. They know what it's like at 730 in the morning, right? There's a lot of information to be gleaned. A lot of our complete street projects, um, you know, especially the the smaller ones and on, you know, mile plus long corridors, we can't do this. Like to have our meetings outside on the street, walk up and down, you know, neighbors start, neighbors start poking their heads out of the houses, um, you know, and they can join the conversation kind of impromptu, right? Uh, and, and that's a way to get a lot of that local knowledge about the issues. And, and that does make for a better project, right? We can make assumptions about a roadway. We can go sit there for 20 minutes, a half an hour and get a good vibe of the traffic. We know, you know, generally speaking, what's going on on traffic, but there's some of those little details that really are game changers that you often get from these community conversations. Should we be doing more uh, outreach? We're going to always do more outreach, right? And that's something that we have to keep striving for and keep our, our eye on the target to make sure that we are involving everyone, uh, especially communities that have not typically been involved in, in the public process. Uh, but yeah, it's 
you know, we have 30 alders, uh, you know, so our, you know, town council, if you will, or board of alders, it has a, a lot of people. And so each alder has what, Steve, like 5,000 people, something like that each. Um, yeah, I think that's like a, a great example of it's in a lot of ways. It's like a continuation of the, you know, New England town meeting, hyper local government. You know, you don't want to do you don't want to do a project or or try to make a an improvement if the you know folks aren't on board with it if the local alder isn't on board with it and so figuring out how to how to bring those changes in a way that meets the community needs i think i mean i hear what you're saying jim it's like in a certain way like it's designed this way it's got to work this way but i think that the you know you look at you look at things that we thought were good ideas, right? Like carving up our cities with highways and think like, well, it would have been, you know, good had there been more public process. And I think if you talk to folks over in East rock, they'll say like, well, I remember when so-and-so, you know, stood in front of a bulldozer and said, you know, this highway is not going any further. So I think, I think really the, the, there is a lot to be gained through the local public engagement. Oh, absolutely. To say nothing, you know, uh, transparency, you know, making sure that there's not corruption underneath any of these projects. And, you know, yeah, it's a pretty important to have community input. Amelia, in the work that you were doing with uh, sustainability at New Haven, did you did you work with any of the community groups or go out and do any of the work hoofing it around town for, for community engagement? I had the opportunity to talk to, I think it was in the end like 13 different nonprofits and yeah. local organizations. Um, and it was really interesting to be able to hear from everyone from, you know, teachers to people who were, you know, volunteering because they wanted to protect their waterway and also joined canvassing with Steve and Max, the other employee in the Office of Climate and Sustainability for, um, home energy consultation programs and that was really really interesting to be able to talk to people and sort of see these sustainability initiatives in action and you know think about how they actually connect to people's daily lives because and uh it's i think it's really it's hard to see that unless you're you're thinking about it on an individual person to person level absolutely what do you get? What's the largest problem you have in sustainability writ large for New Haven either currently or that you might see in the future coming down the pike? I mean, Connecticut as a whole, just as an example, to get, get you thinking, Connecticut as a whole has a solid waste crisis. And New Haven may be a part of that. So what is the next big thing, the next big challenge that you think you've got to try to get a handle on? I think the elephant in the room here is is climate change. Um, and in so many ways, we don't really know exactly how something like climate change is going to impact New Haven. And so, you know, this summer we had this extreme wildfire smoke and it was incredibly easy outside and it was hard to see and the sun was red. And at the same time, there were several, um, we'd recently designated the uh, New Haven Public Libraries as cooling centers and several times over the summer they were activated as cooling centers. Um, And so I think that is an ongoing challenge that we're all going to have to contend with. That really did bring it home to a lot of people who may not even been disconnected with the whole concept to really have that happen 
in New England the way it did uh, for sustained periods of time is like, oh, I get it now. And you think, well, you know, you should have gotten it a long time. <laughs> but okay, at least you you understand now the you know the the issue. Would that be it, uh, Giovanni? You think uh, climate change is the is, because sea level rise is going to affect New Haven certainly untold ways. What's uh, yeah? What's I mean, the biggest I, issue? I I think there's a few big issues, and I'll let Steve. Uh, Steve probably knows which one I'm going to pick as as the one I can talk to. But you know, maybe Steve, you can talk to about some of the others. Yeah, I'll talk, I'll bring up resiliency. Right, we're a coastal community. Um, you know, there are certain physical, very real uh, consequences to climate change right Right. um that that phase that we face now and we'll face increasingly in the future whether it's you know sea level rise is the one everyone immediately points to but you know this part of the country is going to see uh increased high frequency high intensity rain events right uh that's a big thing and when you get caught in between the two that's a big challenge and that's something that we've been working on ever since irene and sandy a decade ago uh you know we've been very successful with both an army corps project and, and a fema brick project uh, that we'll be doing here between now and the end of the decade to, to help our resiliency. We've built a, a natural berm out in the cove to help uh, with resiliency as well. And we've got, you know, two of the largest living shoreline projects uh, in the works in, in southern New England, uh, you know, that we're working on right now. So there's a lot that we're doing, trying to take a green first approach, whether it's our stormwater bioswales or our living shorelines. Uh, but it, it's a big challenge, uh, and it's one that you know we need a lot of help to solve. Resiliency is from a, it's a global problem, but the solutions are often hyper local. So that you know what's good for Long Wharf is different from the Cove, which is different from Fairhaven, which is different from City Point, uh, and on and so on and so forth. And they're very very expensive. They are yes. Which you know local budgets. I, I, Absolutely you know. not. You know, we're <laughs> 200 million and counting, so it's it's big. Well, I, and yes, but I just want to throw in here this concept. I mean, what's odd about that? And you say, you know, fl- some flinty Vermonter, I'm not slamming Vermonters, but somebody living somewhere else, yeah, is going to say, why should I pay for New Haven's, you know, stormwater capacity? Why is federal tax money going to that? And this is happening all over the country because every region has a specific need or vulnerability to climate change that, yeah. that requires a great deal of money in some in some cases. Some cases not. Sometimes it's just straight ahead, you know. Stuff. But a lot of a lot of money a lot of money is going to be required for some of this stuff, and increasingly the nation as a whole are going to be asked to pay for it. Well, I mean, I, I think if you look at the, the federal projects we have, you know, they, they protect I-95, they protect the Northeast Corridor Rail. Those are national transportation assets. Yeah. So there, there's one connection there. You know, another thing I would offer is everywhere you look has climate problems, right? Look at what, you know, Irene, going back to Irene and all the flooding in Irene and Vermont. You know, not right. to pick up no, exactly. You brought them up. <laughs> um, <laughs> We're paying for there. Yeah, so it's banding together and how much does it cost to fix the problem now versus in the future? And not only that, but, you know, in 2050, when the sky is, uh, you know, literally and metaphorically falling, uh, we're just not going to have capacity to deal with all of this, and we're just going to have to suffer. So I, I think by trying to get ahead of the curve, and you know, I really, Irene and Sandy showed us what we can expect in the future, yeah. and what is uh, you know a fifty-year event or a hundred-year event then is going to be something significantly more common in the future. It, it was honest uh, to prepare, 
Um, and, uh, you know, really continued that. And I think Steve brings the, you know, sort of a wider lens to that, you know, being able to cut across the city, whether it's housing, whether it's uh, resiliency or, um, you know, heat or, or what have you, um, you know, having him in that central location on government is, is incredibly helpful. So, Steve, do you think that the, the community, the, which is to say the taxpayers and the voters uh, are on board? Are well, they supportive? I, think- I mean, I, it, again, this is going to be expensive, laborious work, takes a lot of attention away perhaps from other things that, you know, somebody may seem as more immediate, like, uh, I don't know whether it's police protection or garbage, garbage issue. You know, it, it's impossible to split your resources and money and people and man hours and people hours so many ways. Is the community on board understanding that this is this is something that's got to be addressed. Yeah, I mean, I think I think if you look at the resolution that was passed in 2019, there is you know broad acknowledgement that climate change is an existential threat, right? It's not something we can just ignore because there might be expensive interventions. But I think there's also an acknowledgement that, to Giovanni's point, preparedness matters, and to a certain extent can pay for itself, and that. If we're investing in resiliency uh, and we're investing in, you know, more efficient buildings and electric vehicles, those those types of changes uh, that we're going to have more robust systems that can stand stand the test when they're put to the test, whether it's a disaster or whether it's, you know, newer systems that have lower operating costs. I think that there's yeah, there's value in making those investments for the resiliency they provide, uh, but also that there's, you know, going to be greater efficiencies over time. So I don't think it's all a matter of pouring money into things. You know, if you look at the total cost of running a highly efficient, you know, all electric building or an electric vehicle fleet, uh, there's a real savings to the taxpayer there. There's, there's fewer moving parts. There's fewer filters to replace. There's no oil changes. So I think that there's, or a financial problem there where we've got to figure out how to come up with the money to make those investments up front front money. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a, there's a real story to tell about why that's valuable. And I think that, you know, we talk about climate change as an isolated issue, but it by definition intersects with so many other issues. So I think, yeah, Giovanni mentioned housing. I think housing and health are huge challenges in New Haven and they're ones that are intimately tied up to whether or not a building's being properly maintained, whether that building is insulated, whether that building is well ventilated for heating and cooling and cooking. You know, these are ways in which climate overlaps with people's basic living conditions every day. Right. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned the waste crisis that the state's facing. That's an, another another key piece, but also intersects with air quality as do you know everything related to transit and our transportation issues right so we have off the charts asthma rates in new haven and so anything that we're doing that is going to help uh you know reduce the amount of waste that's being incinerated reduce tailpipe emissions reduce the emissions from the oil tanks right we host uh, an enormous amount of petroleum storage tanks that fuel everyone's vehicles, that fuel the flights coming out of Bradley Airport. 
you know, anything that's going to have positive impacts on that is going to help make sure that, you know, kids can stay in school and not, you know, not have to go home with an asthma attack. So I think that, I think that those stories are important to tell because it helps bring the doom and gloom into focus in a way that can help people relate to their day-to-day struggles. Yeah. And if I can just add really quick, I think Steve hit the, hit the nail on the head by having climate change and sustainable thinking be a part of everything we do. I, I think one of the things the mayor's done is not only hired Steve to be that, you know, overall champion and, and you know, sort of forward and outward look outward looking thinker about it, but also has challenged us to imbue all of our operations with sustainability. Right. It's not either or it's not you pay for, you know, sustainability or you're paying for trash pickup. It, it's really an and proposition. Um, and as all of us department heads, we're challenged to make sure that sustainability is part of everything we do. Well, you do it well. And I just want to say congratulations once again uh, to you folks for achieving gold certification with us. We're going to see you. I hope we'll see a couple of you anyway. You're all you're all invited to the American Mule Project on October 17th. We're excited about that coming up soon. So you can hand you your your gorgeous gold plaque and, you know, say huzzah, you know, have a little celebration. So I hope to see you there. Thank you very much for doing this. Uh, I really do appreciate it. Thank you all very much. We hope you enjoyed today's edition of The Impact, a sustainable CT podcast. As always, this program is recorded, produced, and copyrighted, yeah, by Sustainable CT. And thank you for your interest. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our sponsor, the Emily Hall Tremaine Foundation. Thanks again to all the friendly folks at the Elm City for joining us, Steve Winter, Giovanni Zinn, and Amelia Fortgang. Congratulations again to your stellar achievement. You're really making New Haven shine. And thanks to everyone for taking local actions that have a statewide impact.